Go ahead, Mark. Tell everybody, tell everybody what that music is. This is from one of my favorite films of the year. Go ahead. <laughs> a Monster Calls. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's from La La Land. That's right. You love La La Land. Oh, I love it so much. That is uh, Justin Hurwitz's score. Uh, and he, of course, wrote the music for the songs as well from uh, La La Land, the uh, Damien Chazelle masterpiece that is going to win Best Picture and a whole slew of other awards. You know what? I, tell me it's not going to be Moonlight. Oh, no, 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 no. Moonlight has no shot at Best Picture. Are you kidding me? No, that was – well, let's give everybody our uh, our LAFCA recap. Um, I, I have no trouble sort of revealing the politics in the room. Uh, we're only we're only disallowed from revealing who the runner-up was for a new generation. Uh, every other award, we we publicly announced the runner-up, and there was something really curious that happened with our awards, wasn't there, Mark? Uh, w- yeah. Yeah, you didn't didn't you notice it? You were sitting near the back of the room. Well, see, when you sit in the back of the room during yeah. the voting, that's yeah. where all the knuckleheads are. Yeah. Because, A, there's a couch. It's the yeah. only couch. Well, there's a couch in the front of the room, but there's also a couch in the back of the room. So I had the catbird seat. I was on the couch with the chaise. It's also the area closest to the food. Oh, that's why you were there. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, the knuckleheads okay. tend to sit in the back. So if there's serious okay. movie discussions happening, it yeah. tends to happen in the middle to the front. Yeah, okay. All right. So, so here's, here's the, uh, the politics of the room as I discerned it. You can tell me if you feel otherwise, because I was sitting in the front next to Ray, and we were having a little chit-chat after uh, certain votes. Now, I got there late, we should point out, okay? Yes, so, because your wife was having getting a, a haircut? She had a hair appointment, yeah. I, mean, I had to babysit. This, this thing happens once a year. You take the baby with the, to, with you the know, hair. You know, we did, but I had to babysit during the, uh, the hair appointment. And then afterwards, I, they, they piled back into the one car, and I got into the other car, and I split over to Myron's for the vote. So I got there right as you guys had, had gone through the first round for cinematography. So the first category, cinematography, and it was a runoff. Between Moonlight and La La Land. Fair enough. Both beautiful films. And I even sa- I said to Ray at the time, I was like, wow, amazing. Two films that start with really incredibly well choreographed, almost invisibly choreographed, very, very long single takes. Both of them. Really, you know. So uh, very fitting. And uh, two beautiful indie films. I get it. And the, uh, the, the win went rather lopsidedly to Moonlight. At which moment I thought, uh-oh. There's a there's a contrarian impulse in the room, and as we went along, with the exception of the music award, which we gave to Moonlight to uh, to La La Land, we gave music to La, La of course for crying out loud, but barely to La La Land, right? Like barely, it barely got it to La La Land. Um, with the exception of that one award, every single time La La Land wound up in a runoff in four other instances. And every single time Manchester by the Sea wound up in a runoff, in two other instances, that contingent of the room voted for whatever the other movie was. There were clearly six or seven knuckleheads in the back of the room where you were who had decided coming in, I'm not going to vote for La La Land and I'm not going to vote for Manchester by the Sea because La La Land is just too sweet and it's not angry enough. It's not angry enough. These are angry times. I need to vote for an angry film. And I'm not going to vote for Manchester because Casey Affleck is a sexual abuser because there's that whole I'm fiasco. Not sure. did, did, wait, so you, that, you, you think the sexual abuser thing had to do with Casey Affleck? Yeah, I do. I do. I think that particular contingent of the room, there's oh. a contingent of the room that decided they are not going to vote for the film that the National Board of Review selected because they're a bunch of marshmallows and they always pick some mushy commercial piece of junk like La La Land. 
and I'm not going to vote for what uh, – or, or no, I'm sorry. They, they voted for uh, Manchester, so right. I'm not going to vote for that because it's, uh, you know, it's too Oscar Beatty and, it, and the Casey Affleck thing. And I'm not going to vote for La La Land because the New York film critics voted for La La Land, right? So, so we're going to vote for something else. I think they, well, we're going to be the L.A. film critics. We're going to go our own way. We're going to do what we always do. Which, by do. the way, is our reputation. It is our reputation that we always go left field. Um, and have done since Schindler's List, really. It's Which, just, by the way, I don't mind uh, as long as it's, it's not deserving. calculated. Yeah. If it's calculated, then that's bad. I, you I should be voting look, your conscience. A lot of people in the group truly love Moonlight, and Moonlight is a fine film. I, I have a few reservations. I, I, you know what? I, it's it's fine, a fine film. But I didn't go nuts over it like yeah, everybody else did. I didn't either. That character either. felt like a complete construct to me. See, that's the problem I have. That's the problem I have. And I have a problem with the, the, the third chapter of it, per se. I, I, it's, it's, it, the character does feel like a construct. However, the middle chapter, the, sim- the middle chapter of it, I think, is rather remarkable. And I think the actor who plays yeah. him in the middle is incredible. And is that, really incredible. And that guy who played the world's nicest drug dealer? Yeah. Like somehow in the first chapter of this Mahershal film. Mahershala Ali. Who, uh, he's great. Yeah. I was yeah. I was we're I gonna, was we're gonna I was crossing my fingers hoping he was in the rest of the film, which of course he was not because he was I just love looking at him. Well, but here's the thing is that I, I felt to my I felt to myself to the detriment of the film like Somehow this kid wound up finding the world's nicest drug dealer. He is, he is, he is popping right now. You haven't watched uh, Luke Cage on Netflix, have you? Uh, that's a negative. Okay, because he's he's a big cheese on on Luke Cage oh, for like the first half, if not more than half of the series. I did not know that. He is this big kind of Harlem, you know, uh, crime kingpin. Uh, and, okay, and he Admit is amazing. He is amazing. Mahershala Ali. Mahershala Ali. I voted for him, even though he's, he's only great. in the first half, first third yeah. of the film. No. Okay, be honest. Did you not think to yourself the luck this kid had to find the nicest, most fatherly drug dealer in all of town, ta- in the whole town? Well, that's partly why the movie feels a little bit forced and constructed. It's a, it's a little bit of a. I don't mind a fairy tale as long as you cop to being a fairy tale. I don't think this thing wa- – this, this movie That's did not it. want to be a fairy tale. It, it didn't, didn't look at itself like a fairy tale. No, it, it, it sort of takes it, – it, it gives you – it takes shortcuts, you know, and I feel that it is a little bit of a shortcut. Still, Barry Jenkins is a very talented director, and I think, uh, I think you hand him a really, really remarkable piece of material, and he will knock it out of the park. He's a, I mean, he's a very, very talented director. So there it is. You got it. That's it. Well, all right, Mark. You know what? Uh, baseball's your thing, man. You just go and tell us about which of these freaking uh, Cubs thing. I'm thrilled for the Cubs. I really am. I'm elated. For- Actually, first, before I, li- I let you get to the Cubs things, we have one more. Uh, we got one more music. Uh, music. Christmas uh, DVD that came late after our uh, our holiday show, our gift guide, and uh, you might want to add this because. There just are not enough uh, Christmas movies that involve dogs. Uh, I say that very facetiously. This is one of those things that has the Dove family-approved seal on it, so you know there's absolutely nothing whatsoever offensive about this thing except possibly the dog. It's called Christmas All Over Again, and it has uh, no one of note in it with the exception of Joey Lawrence, who no longer has any hair. And I was just talking about Joey Lawrence the other day about how he, when he showed up on Give Me a Break, that was uh, the end of that show for me. Anyway, uh, no, this is, uh, you know, this is fair enough. It's another kind of schmaltzy family Christmas movie. Things are bad. Things aren't good. And then, you know, you, uh, you they, things take a turn because it's Christmas. And this is from Grindstone. They make a lot of movies, a lot of little independent movies that go straight to video, released by Lionsgate. And it's got the, uh, I don't know, is that dog cute to you? A doggy. Yeah. You know what? That it's dog kind looks of a weird a little, looking dog. 
A little creepy, yeah, right? Yeah, that dog yeah. looks like a weird human dog, island of Dr. Moreau type hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. Well, whatever. Joey Lawrence in a Christmas movie with a dog, Christmas all over again. It's nothing special. But, you know, none of them, none of them really are. They're just, you put them on in the background if you have a Christmas party going on, you'll enjoy it. Uh, you know, Wade, congratulations to the uh, Chicago Cubs. Very happy for them. Amazing, right? It's a great story. It's yeah. a great story, and Fantastic. they deserve to win. I agree. They didn't luck into it. They were a great yep. team. They were the best team in baseball. Yep. It wasn't just like, and the Mets have been in this position, too, where they're the wild card team yeah. that kind of does well at the right time of the year. Yeah. The Cubs were great for the whole year. It's a great story. They're a great team, young, fresh, exciting. I'm very happy for them. Winning the World Series in one of the great Game 7s of all time. One of the great game sevens of all it, time. It really is, right? I mean, I the mean, whole, but the whole series, right down to the rain delay, it gave to a tie, whatever game seven. You the, could not have written a, if they had swept the series, it would not have been Cubs like. It had to be, it had to be this kind of drama for it for the Cubs first the home, you know, for, first World Series win in like a hundred and whatever years. One hundred eight years. They, they had to earn it. It was they not going to come easy. They, just, they had to grind it out till the very last out. Yeah, it was great. So there's two different versions of this from uh, the good folks at uh, Shout Factory. One is a uh, one banger. Um, the uh, 2016 World Series champions put out by Major League Baseball. Uh, but what you really should get, I don't, you know, if you're into baseball and if you're not a Cubs fan, just for the historic value, you should get this. Uh, very exciting eight-disc box set, which has uh, all seven games from the World Series. It has the NLCS Game 6, and it has a bunch of audio options, which is always fun, TV, home radio, away radio in Spanish. Yeah. And uh, it's great. It's great stuff. So I'm get, just that so one, get that one, not the single-disc deal. I, I, in this instance, if you're yeah. a baseball fan, I would just go ahead and get this one. The, the, the official Blu-ray. Huh? But that's that's more official. Too? I know that's but that's a big old box set. This is you this know. is eight discs. Yeah, very happy for them. Yeah, the uh, one of the guys I, I this uh, this keyboardist I know he's older than me. He's like in his I mean, you know, he's in his sixties or something. Yeah, he said that um, that Joe Madden, the uh, the uh, manager of the Cubs. Yeah, he grew up in the same town as the Madden family, and Madden and Joe Madden's father. Was a plumber. No kidding. Who used to fix the pipes at this keyboardist I know. Used to fix the pipes at his home. No kidding. So Joe Madden's father, plumber, I think it was Pennsylvania, used to fix the pipes where uh, this keyboardist friend of mine uh, used to oh. live as a kid. Isn't that crazy? Oh, Knew the whole Madden family, said they're all wonderful people. No kidding. Wow. Yep. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? All right, I'm going to uh, mention a few music things here, real quickly. Oh, that was me. That was me. That's you know okay. why? Because you're putting all these Blu rays everywhere and it's yeah. getting into my world. I'm sorry. I don't need to get into your world. Okay, we don't so need this. <laughs> we don't need this. You can move this. This is great. This is great radio, by the way. Yeah, this is fabulous. So, uh, real quickly, a few late-breaking uh, music things as well. Uh, a, uh, a an opera, Norma, by Bellini, uh, performed by the Symphony Orchestra and Choir of the Gran Teatro di Lucio Renata Palumbo, whatever. Colombo. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, so anyway, this is uh, this is a late one that came in from the C major line over at Naxos. It is very Wagnerian, which is why Wagner himself uh, really, really loved it. Uh, it's a very, very famous opera, apparently, um, but, of course, I'm not a huge, huge opera aficionado. I will watch them whenever, but uh, anyway, it's very nicely done. And then we also have uh, Don McLean. Don McLean, he's from our era. Any of you kids listening, you're going to have no idea who Don McLean is, but Don McLean uh, is pretty great. And he, uh, a legendary concert of his, Starry Starry Night from uh, Austin, Texas has been remastered, not on Blu-ray. It is on DVD, 
Uh, but it's lovely. And uh, this was done in 1999, kind of, you know, a uh, bit of a nostalgia deal, but uh, it's pretty great. It's really, really great. A lot of great stuff from the 70s and 80s. Uh, you'll have a lot of fun with this. Uh, Raining in my heart, and uh, you gave me a mountain, castles in the air. Any Don McLean fan will know this. We also have the uh, extended cut of the Rocky Horror Picture Show recent television production, which I thought was fairly horrific. Uh, did you see this? No. It not it, it ain't good. Uh, it, it's really not not good at all. I I'm not a huge fan of Rocky Horror Picture Show to begin with. I kind of enjoy the kitsch of it, but when you this this was just really misguided. Uh, I don't see the point of the extended cut. Um, Jennifer Lopez fans, we got a uh, Jennifer Lopez concert dance again. Perfectly fine. Uh, you know, it's a little bit of uh, behind the scenes stuff, kind of concert combination rockumentary. It's okay. Uh, it, you know, it's exactly what you would expect. Very, very slick, and uh, that's that. So there's a few more concert options, a few more music options if you're looking for something to ram into somebody's stocking this season. Uh, Mark, let's talk about new movies. What happened? What did I do? No, we're on to, we're on to new movies now, so uh, let's talk about new movies. Kubo and the Two Strings. ton of new movies, which I was amazed. This did not make our animation runoff. I, I thought for I, sure this would, it would be this against something else. I thought this was great. It is great, but this was not <laughs> in the runoff. The runoff was two anime films. I know. I it know. was the, the Red Turtle and, and, your uh, name. and Your Name. Which, I, by the way, could I just say, as weird and freaky as Your Name is, and it's a good film. I don't know that it's my favorite. I like this a lot better. But, but Your Name confuses me. I've been, every time I talk to somebody about Your Name, Ray, the whole time when Ray was saying things to me, He's like, oh, I didn't vote for your name. I'm like, my name? What's wrong with my name? It was a who's on first thing. You cannot talk to somebody about the movie Your Name unless you clarify the movie with the title, quote, Your Name, end quote, because otherwise it turns into what happened in Costello Routine. It's very um, frustrating. You are uh, you're making all that up. Yeah, not really. It actually happened. Anyway, this is uh, Kubo and the Two Strings. Uh, this is uh, beautifully animated. I love the storytelling. Love the characters. It's the same animators who did um, Coraline. Who did Coraline, which yeah. I like, and Nine. Yeah, I think did Nine too. Yeah, it's it's uh, what's his face, the director of uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, Henry Selick. That's and, right. And uh, James and the Giant Peach. It's Henry Selick's animation operation up there in uh, Oregon. That's right. And yeah. uh, I loved it. I thought this was great. I did not really expect much of it. I didn't. Terrific. I didn't know what to make of it. Uh, I was like, do I want to watch this? Looks like lame, but it's good. It's great animation, very absorbing. It's a terrific story. It's got great. It's got uh, uh, the voice acting is terrific. It's got it's got a little bit of humor, but it's still got a, it's still got a great theme, a good story to tell, and uh, I was very impressed. I did not uh, expect to like it, but I liked it a lot. I don't think Jen Yamato likes it because she sort of called everybody out in, in in the middle of the meeting. That was interesting. Uh, don't you remember when she said I would like for somebody to, to justify their like for for Kubo and the Two Strings to me? Okay. When we were voting, I, 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 didn't, I didn't hear that. You didn't hear that? No, I didn't. Uh, yeah, you were probably behind her. Yeah, she kind of <laughs> called everybody out. That's good. Uh, it is good. It is good. I think it's just terrific. Great movie. Um, <laughs> it is. I know. I I'm, I'm on board. Childhood of a Leader uh, by Brady Corbet. Corbett Corbet. We argued about how to even pronounce that. Is it is it Brady Corbett? Brady Corbet? Is what? he is he French or? Well, you know, uh, no. I mean, probably or, uh, originally, but in the meeting we were discussing this, and nobody actually kind of settled in on that. Uh, this is a really kind of a cool period piece with uh, Robert Pattinson in a very, very unusual, uh, unusual role. 
Berenice Bejo, the uh, or Bejo, the French actress, who of course we all know from The Artist. Um, th this is a really interesting kind of strange, thrillery, psychological period thing uh, set around the period of World War I, and it deals uh, with an American diplomat living in France and uh, this very, very uh, eerie, you sort of feel the political tensions of the world around creeping into the, this sort of very intricate chamber piece. Um, it's really beautifully done. I'm, I'm, um, I'm still not. I know a lot of people in the group were really thrilled about this, and they were they kind of had him on their uh, on their short list for New Generation and some other things. I'm still kind of digesting it. I think it's very competent, but I'm not sure it's quite all as all there as uh, as everybody else did. I did not see it. You did not see it. No, I did anyway, not. I think it's very good. I think it could have probably been better, but it's a very very good cast. Pattinson is good. Uh, you also have Liam Cunningham in the cast, who's very very good. Uh, it is stylish, if nothing else. That's what they say about me. I'm stylish yeah. and nothing and nothing else. You are so stylish. Um, then there is Southside with You, um, produced by John Legend, who is in La La Land, by the way. We yes, should point out John Legend is terrific in La La Land. Southside with You uh, it, it felt to a lot. Uh, I think when they announced it, I think a lot of people felt like, "Oh, really? You're making a movie about the uh, about the Obama's first date? Boy, that feels kind of you know pandery." Um, but but to be honest, it's not bad. I don't care where you come from politically. If you sort of suspend your politics and if you forget for a moment that this is the characters in this are Barack and Michelle Obama, it's actually a pretty sweet film. Uh, I think politics may sort of influence, obviously, how a lot of people feel about it, but it's perfectly fine. It's not brilliant or anything. I'm not sure how accurate it is. I, I would be willing to guess that the, this film is like 99.9% .9 fabrication, that the only thing that is in any way accurate is that they... Uh, they, there, they there, there was a man named uh, Barack Obama. Well, that, they, that, that Barack Obama and Michelle Obama had a date, and they went to see uh, Do the Right Thing. I think that's the only <laughs> part of this that may actually have any, uh, any accuracy. Uh, everything else is is a little bit fluffy, but it's perfectly sweet and it's well acted, and the actors are good, and they don't try to do impersonations. Thank goodness, which would have been just disastrous. Written and directed by Richard Tan or Tanay, not sure which way it is, but uh, you know, yeah, let's see what else you got up your sleeve. Uh, it's a very competent film. Well, wait, here's a film called Equity. Oh no! You know this film actually not bad. I'll tell you why. It's not bad because it is the uh, rare film that takes place on Wall Street, right? IPOs and tech sure. whatnots and yeah. multinationals, whatever, that uh, uh, stars women. Uh -huh. It's all about the women. She, uh, uh, Anna Gunn plays this female investigative banker, and she's climbing her way to the top. And then her, her firm uh, learns about this tech IPO that uh, might have negative consequences on her budding career. And I got to say, it was uh, kind of exciting. I thought it was, I was surprised. It's uh, kind of smart. Sexy, but not in that, like, you know, it, it's tough when you finally make a movie about women in the in the high-pressure world of, of Wall Street. You don't want to have to make it sexy because then you're just leaning on all those cliches. Of, like, right. women can't just be professionals. They have to be right. sexy, too. Yeah. So there is a little bit of that in here, which is kind of disappointing. But um, I think it's good. It's a good film. It's a, it's, it's exciting. It's uh, It's got a good script. You know, it's it's it's... Definitely a good glass ceiling film if you're like a, maybe like a younger uh, lady and you want to kind of get a sense of, hey, you know what? It doesn't have to be just like, uh, you know, Christian Bale, yeah, you know, climbing to the top of Wall Street. Could be a woman. So I right. liked it on that basis. 
Uh, and along those lines, I got a couple here from Wolf, which of course is uh, primarily LGBT ma uh, material. Uh, but some some inter a couple of good titles here that are I, I I hate the term crossover, but they're actually really good. Uh, this first one is Me Myself and Her, which is a story of two women who have a long-standing relationship, but one of them is fully out, the other one not so much, and it is about that the 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 not fully being committed to your your orientation. What does that? How does that affect the relationship? And where does it go from there? Actually, uh, very, very well written, beautifully shot, and, uh, and, a, and, a, and really, really, really well acted. That is called Me, Myself, and Her. And then we also have a film called uh, Girls Lost, which I'm uh, a little bit less impressed by, but it's, it still has its moments. Um, th if you saw the film Kiss Me, did you ever see Kiss Me? Same director. I did not. Uh, same director. In any case, uh, this is about a, uh, a, a bunch of girls who, uh, you know, teenage girls who um, uh, they're kind of the outcast girls a little bit, right? They're, they're, they're not the, the cool kids. And uh, then there's a uh, – how do I even go into this? It goes into kind of a weird um, – a weird gender-bending, uh, magical thing, almost like in Big, where they find a plant that lets them be boys. Wow, that's it's a documentary. Is exactly. What you're so anyway, uh, it, it 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 should be uh, it should be interesting in terms of all of that sort of gender politics and how to, does the world treat boys versus girls and so forth. Uh, but uh, it, then it goes into like a weird, it takes a weird turn at a certain point and it kind of loses, it, it goes wayward. But anyway, uh, Girls Lost, could have been better, has an interesting premise. Girls are lame. Yeah. All right. Uh, I got a bunch of macho stuff here. Do you want to... Macho stuff? Do you want to talk about that? Well, that was... I, Everyone else likes it. Did you see that? No. Oh, so well, you should I'll talk, talk about, about it. I'll talk about that. Uh, I'll, you know what? I'll just blow through this list right here. I'll just blow That's through this. That's what you should do. I'll, do the, I'll blow through the macho stuff. Um, I thought you saw Don't Breathe. I did not. Oh, you didn't. Okay. Well, never mind. So Don't Breathe uh, is terrible. Uh, everyone else loves it. Tim loves it. Fine. Fair enough. Fede Alvarez, who directed the uh, most recent Evil Dead reboot, directs this. I, I understand why everybody loves this. I don't like it. So I'm going to tell you why everybody likes this. Um, don't Breathe is a movie about these uh, delinquent kids who really shouldn't be delinquent because one of them comes from a good family, and they, but they're just trying to sort of, you know, they break into homes, they, they do robberies, and uh, they, they, you know, they, they're not like lower class kids, right? They're not doing this because they're desperate. They're doing it for the thrill. They, they really shouldn't be. Anyway. Uh, two dudes and a girl, and two of them have a relationship, and the guy, of course, you know, has a secret crush on the girl, but the other guy, who's the ringleader, uh, you get the dynamic. It's that weird, the, the, the sexual tension in the, in the two guys and a girl thing uh, layered on top. And they make a mistake of breaking into the house of this blind man who has some gigantic insurance settlement and cash presumably stashed away somewhere in a box, and, of course, this guy is like a vet, and he's, you know, he's, he's like Zatoichi. He's blind and lethal, and the house is all booby-trapped. And next thing you know, the house turns into a chamber of horrors, and they're trapped in it, and it's got all kinds of crazy booby traps. And then there's other weird twists involved Reminds in the Reminds me of story. Green Room. Is that Green Room? Yeah, Green Room-ish. Gr but Green Room I like Green Room's good. 
Green Room is better because it's not predicated on a gimmick. Everything in this is gimmicky, and everything in this is about, you know, the shock sounds, the boom sound effects, the shock cuts. And uh, it, it just it, – it kind of paints by the numbers, and I really – I found it so calculated. Is it really well put together? Yes. Alvarez knows how to put a movie together. He knows how to make you jump. He knows how to twist the screws and create tension, and he knows how to do all that stuff. And from a technical standpoint, it's very well done. But from a narrative standpoint, this thing is ludicrous, beginning with the idea that a guy who got a multi-million dollar settlement in insurance is, is not going to put it in a bank. He's going to keep living in a, in a decaying old house in Detroit Damn right. on a dead-end street. Damn right. And he's, 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 he's going to take all those millions and going to stick them in a lockbox and shove it into a safe or in the wall somewhere? No. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. So the whole thing is predicated on a gimmick. I find it really annoying. Um, the Blu-ray has deleted scenes with director's commentary. It has a commentary with Alvarez and uh, his co-writer, along with actor Stephen Lang from Avatar, who plays the, the blind guy in Ava this. what? Avatar. Ava was that a movie? Yeah, it was. There's some sequels coming out. No one's going to care. Anyway, and then a bunch of, uh, bunch of featurettes. Uh, I don't know. I, you know, people who like these kinds of films love this thing. I did not. You want, you want me to go through the guy stuff? Oh, sorry. Go through the guy stuff? Uh, well, here we go. Here we go. Okay. okay. You know, show it to me. Oh, I saw this. Okay. Little Men. <laughs> now, Ira Sachs. Don't like him. I, I, Not a fan. I love Ira Sachs. He is a do. director of just uncommon sensitivity, and the way he sees through characters, I just think he's great. Y you, know, you know how, the, uh, <laughs> you know how there's, m there's mumblecore? <laughs> okay. Ira Sachs makes snorecore. Oh, come That's, on. Yeah. Great. It's about it's about a uh, this thirteen year old kid, this kid Theo Taplitz, who's uh, very good in it. When his grandfather dies, his family moves uh, back to his father's Brooklyn home, and he befriends this this kid who's his age. He's very charismatic. You're like, well, will he get him into trouble? Will he not get him into trouble? Meanwhile, the uh, the father, played by Greg Kinnear, uh, he he owns the building in which this family lives and the downstairs tenant owns a dress shop and so he might have to foreclose on her and throw her out and this is all she has and she's the mother of the of this this kid who might be a bad influence on little 13 year old Jake mm -hmm. and uh, it's just you know what it's very it's just wonderfully humane and small and believable and it's free of you know special effects and and these over the top moments it's a it's very I don't want to say French New Wavy, but, you know, it's yeah. got that kind of thing going on. Sure. You know, it's barely 80 minutes, but there's no cliches involved, and it's just very well observed, and I like Iris Sax a lot. Uh, you, you, you didn't like Love is Strange? No. What? No. You I mean, I have, an, I have an appreciation for the performances, but I, I just find his, his movies, they just, they just lie there. They don't do anything. People just lie there and emote. That's... Speaking of, really that, speaking of movies that lie there, The Hollers. Uh -huh. The Hollers. Directed by John Krasinski for some reason. This didn't work either, did it? Not really. I love What's Her Face, the mom. The woman who plays the mom. Yeah, the, I love uh, her. Yeah, the, 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 this one here, right? Yeah, uh, I love uh, her. Margot Martindale. Margot Martindale. I love her. She's she cool. is the saving grace of this movie. Otherwise, this is one of those movies where uh, somebody who left a uh, small town home long ago for a big career, a big unfulfilling life in the city. Uh, he's married and he's expecting or he's not quite married he's expecting a child may or may not marry her uh, he has to go home and when you go home again oh 
the old girlfriend and the old the old guy across the street and the guy that drove the pickup truck and the cat across the what the uh, the whole small town thing raises its head and you're supposed to sit there and reflect like you do in Garden State and go why did I ever leave but I, this is one of those movies but you, but you know why it'll all turn out okay for him because at the end there's lots of bouncy pop songs <laughs> and that just means happiness. Great cast, uh, Sh- uh, Charlton Copley and Charlie Day, Richard Jenkins. Plays his dad. Plays his dad. Anna Kendrick is in this. Otherwise, um, I doubt it. All right. So here, I got a bunch of dude movies. Dude. Guys, tough guys, guns, and whatnot. Uh, we already talked about Jason Bourne some weeks ago. They sent us the 4K Jason Bourne well, uh, at long last uh, with the HDR, high dynamic range, high dynamic range. You know what? Um, 4K is not even uh, – no one cares. Yeah. You know what? Uh, it doesn't really make a difference in this movie. i got to be honest. It's uh, it's just too fast and furious, and it, uh, it, it, it's, it, it doesn't, even with the audio, it doesn't really do much for me. i got to be honest. Uh, this movie's still ridiculous. Um, but you do get uh, some some exclusives on here, and uh, mostly featurette stuff. But it's you know it's still a Jason. It's still the the weakest of the Jason Bourne movies. Didn't didn't really didn't really work. Boy, this movie kind of tanked for award season. This was supposed to be a, a a runner at some point. Hands of Stone. No, you know what? The, no one. You know why? It, it, why? It, it, it thought it was. It wanted to be. Yeah. It wanted to put it out there as if it was. But come on. It's, first of all, it's De Niro. Yeah, well. At this point, it's I over. I think a lot of people were like, oh, De Niro goes from no, being, goes from being uh, you know, a boxer to now he's playing the trainer. So this is the story of Roberto Duran. Uh, anybody who remembers back in the 80s, Roberto Duran was the Panamanian uh, boxer who was just such a badass. He... He just hated America because, you know, his dad was an American soldier who abandoned his mom or some such nonsense. And uh, he was just badass. He was mean and he just he was a a fierce fighter and he could beat almost anybody. But he had a chip on his shoulder, crazy chip on his shoulder. So anyway, this is the story of Roberto Duran starring Edgar Ramirez, who plays Duran as much more interesting than he really was and gives him much more depth than he really needed to have. Uh, as, you know, the guy with all kinds of demons and uh, finds success and marries a beautiful woman and then, of course, delves into excess and just cannot get that chip off his shoulder. The uh, Robert De Niro plays the legendary uh, Ray Arcel, who, of course, is one of the great fight uh, trainers of all time, who had to kind of he, – he, he, had, he had a run-in with the mob and a falling out with the mob and wasn't really – he had a deal where he couldn't really fight, train any more fighters as, for money. So he basically trains Duran for no money, uh, just out of the love of it. So that's an interesting angle. The one saving grace in this thing is Usher. Usher plays um, – are you ready for this? You didn't no. see this, did you? I did not. Usher plays Sugar Ray Leonard. What? And he's amazing. What? He's amazing. Yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard. Usher plays Sugar Ray Leonard. He's amazing. He's perfect. He nails it. It's great casting. It is fantastic. Uh, so that's really amazing, even though Usher, I think, is a – Quite a bit smaller than Leonard was. But uh, they pull that off. They totally sell it. And uh, it's got its moments. But otherwise, it's, it's not, a, not a great movie. It just misses on all kinds of levels. John Turturro shows up in this as well, as, the, as does Ellen Barkin. People are making cameos now. Uh, War Dogs. Did you see War Dogs, Mark? No. Didn't miss anything. Todd Phillips really kind of bonks it on this one. Uh, you know, there's, there's a few cameos and whatnot here. But otherwise, Jonah Hill and Miles Teller in this very, very strange, loosely based on fact uh, thing about a couple of, a couple of young uh, entrepreneurs 
who wind up becoming uh, arms dealers and uh, during you know the war in Afghanistan, and it just it it's uh, it tries to be funny when it shouldn't be, and it tries to be scary when it really can't be, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't really all hang together. Um, but that being said, Ana de Armas, who is also in uh, Hands of Steel, who plays Duran's wife in that, she also shows up in this thing. And I'm going to tell you right now, Ana de Armas, big star in the future. This woman is set. For, she's like the, she's she's just about the best thing, other than Usher in Hands of Stone, and she's definitely the best thing in this. Uh, she's fantastic. This is on Blu-ray with Ultraviolet, uh, Jonah Hill, and Miles Teller, two actors who really deserve better. You know, Jonah Hill did the uh, came up with the story for uh, why him, James Franco thing that comes that out thing on the twenty third. That thing looks. I saw it. Oh, you I, did. I have to review it for radio on the twenty third. Oh, yeah. was it good? No. How? Why would it be good? It's like guess who's coming to Christmas? Mm-hmm. It's terrible. It's truly awful. I can't. I can't <laughs> even. It's you know. And the funny thing is, it's got uh, not just Jonah Hill, but Ben Stiller is an executive producer on it, and it's got a real Meet the Parents vibe, right? It's like Meet the Parents and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and all all those movies about you know boyfriends who terrorize some really conservative father by dating their precious daughter. All mm-hmm. the, that that whole formula. Oh my gosh, it's dreadful. Uh, Suicide Squad. Mark, did you see Suicide Squad? I d- <laughs> no, what? Did you see Squad Aside Sued? <laughs> I did. Did you see Squad of Sweet Sweet Dots? It was just as bad as you'd imagine. Did you see Squad Aside Sweet? I, I did. Sweet Squad Squad? <laughs> did you see Sasquatch Sweet? Squeed Squad Squad? The sequel would be Sasquatch Squeed. Two. Sas- the sequel. Sasquatch Weed. The Swede. Sasquatch Weed. <laughs> um, I just think okay. that Warner Brothers has a big problem that they have Man. to they have to address this by, uh, by Justice League. They can't get it right. They just can't get it right. Okay, uh, everybody has talked about how horrible this film is. Everyone but our friend Luke Thompson thinks that this is just garbage. Luke loves this thing. This is a disaster. It doesn't know what it wants to be. It doesn't know where to, where to go. This thing had a million different cuts. Uh, David Ayer like didn't even have anything to do with the final cut. And this one is 15 minutes longer than the theatrical cut. And Which uh, might be okay. I mean, I, uh, no, the, it well, makes no well, difference, who, man. Who, who, supervised, it depends who supervised the cut? If David Ayer supervised the cut and you're getting closer to what he wanted, it, it, it's it the, might make more sense. It is the quote-unquote extended cut. Oh, that's that's, that's all we know. Anyway, uh, it's just not great. It ain't great. No, it's just, it, you know what? When you watch the film, you just get a sense that it was just chopped to hell. I want to uh, see Harley Quinn, uh, Margot Robbie doing Harley Quinn in her own standalone movie. That would be interesting to me. It's funny about her because this is just generally about her. She, for me, she kind of came from nowhere, and she seemed just like a pretty face who was yeah. just almost like a model who thinks she wants to act. But it turns out that she's like, uh, she's good. Well, no, she's great. She's great. She's terrific. Uh, this is 4K Ultra HD. L- colors are zany, absolutely mind-poppingly zany. I will say this. This thing, they really either they shot it well or they did something in the computer and really blew it out. But the colors are off the chart. So the 4K for this thing works uh, in spades really nicely, but my my goodness. Okay, uh, next one. Blu-ray, DVD, and uh, unfortunate ultraviolet combo set of Ben-Hur. I predicted this thing would be an absolute catastrophe when they announced it. I said, you are going to really regret this. You don't remake a classic. You certainly don't remake it by handing it to Timur Bekmambetov, uh, who is one of the worst directors on the planet and who needs to just go back to Russia and make more vampire movies there because he's just horrible. 
and he bonked it. It's terrible. Yeah, th- this it's is awful. Like, it's like Tarzan. It's like, who, who, who had this idea? Terrible, terrible. And then, of course, they had the bright idea of saying, oh, well, because it's got kind of a Jesus angle to it, right? Isn't there a Jesus thing in Ben-Hur? Yes, Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ, which doesn't show up on this title, by the way. The original, right, from 59, Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ. This is just Ben-Hur. Which is funny because nowadays you would you would that might help get yeah uh, you would think well that's why they, over fans but they that that's theater. when they pulled in Roma Downey and uh, right. and, and, and Mark Burnett and, Mark Burnett, and they yeah. you know wanted them to sort of sculpt it so it appealed to the faith based audience and I'm thinking okay no disrespect to to, to Burnett and Downey but did you actually see the Bible miniseries it mm-hmm. kind of stank. I mean, maybe oh, with, with, with the devil who looked just like Obama. Yeah, like the like. Yeah, maybe they've uh, got a connection the to that. Uh, maybe the, maybe they have a guy. connection to that audience, but they don't make good movies. Their stuff stinks, and they're not going to make this good. They, they you know, it, it, they spent way too much money, and this thing has no good actors in it. Uh, it's just really unfortunate. Okay, you are telling me this guy does not look just like Obama. I mean, come on. <laughs> come on. That's the guy. That's the, I mean, just stop it, people. Oh, what is wrong goodness. with everybody? So, horrible Ben-Hur. Uh, and now, here we go. Mark, I'm going I'm, I'm to I'm entrust that last one to you because I know you like that. I'm going to say the Magnificent Seven, this uh, forced uh, diversity Magnificent Seven where you've got to have the Hispanic guy and the black guy and the Chinese guy and the old guy and the Indian guy. I'm sorry. This thing is just way too PC. This is way too programmed for our era of inclusion and diversity. This would not have happened after the Civil War, where you get this like multicultural bunch of uh, gunfighters fighting to uh, for the honor of a of a of a widowed homesteader. No, it, it, you completely ruin the whole point of the original. The whole point of the original was character driven. That being said, Antoine Fuqua really has a hell of a fun time when the big final shootout happens, but he really doesn't care about this in any other way. Uh, Denzel acts the daylights out of this thing. I mean, he gives this this character much more depth than he really has any business having. But other than that, it's a really hack script. It doesn't in any way have anything to do with any previous versions. It is a completely newly written thing, and it's unfortunate because it is James Horner's final score. Yes, was it's it good. N- now, was this not uh, dedicated to him, or was the... Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. 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 Too bad. All right, last guy movie. This is the good one of the bunch. Oh, one of my favorite films of this year, Hell or High Water. Yep. Great film. Chris Pine, who for some reason is being touted for awards. Uh, He was actually the weak link for me. I don't see it. I don't see it. He was the weak link for me. But uh, Ben Foster, who I always love. You know, this is... This is just sort of like an old-fashioned, almost like at the last picture show where we're, we're a bank heist film. Right. You know? Yeah. It's just well-acted, and it's got – it's just it feels just full-bodied, and it's got a great script. And I got to tell you, and I, I said this to Wade at the time, David McKenzie, who is not an American, he has such – Scottish. He's Scottish. Crazy, right? Yeah. He has such a feel for this material. And what I loved about it is that the script has so many great lines. And normally when a script has great lines right. – the director, he will put your he'll he'll put the lead actor, give him a big close up so that he can say his big line so and the, everybody loves the script. So the honey drips right off That's the screen right. and into your lap. Does not Absolutely. do this at all. No, it doesn't. It, it, everybody swallows their great lines. They do. They, they just they just say but it like it, normal speech. But it it makes it a better film on oh, balance. Great. Yeah. It's yeah, great. It does. Such a great choice. I mean yeah. that he's a guy where this is a film where like like the choices that he makes don't scream award me as best no, director that's true. but that's those are the choices that don't that that the 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 non flashy the non show yep. up choices 
that most other directors would not have done that makes I this film really stand out. I agree. And I have to say that that at the time, this was coming off of a summer of you know this thing. Ca- it was coming. It was. It, it came out in August. Yeah. And it came out of a summer of superhero films and a bunch of bloat. And you saw this, and you th- and you thought to yourself, "Oh my God!" So this is what it's like. Yeah. This is what it's like to see a real yeah. movie that's so well crafted and so well done. And it was like manna from heaven watching this movie. Totally. And I love it. I love High Water. It's good stuff. Jeff Bridges, uh, Chris Pine, Ben Foster. I hope it again. It's not big enough to get that kind of love, but I, I hope there's some room somewhere. I think it will. It's a very very good script. Uh, it, it and it's a it's it it just it it sneaks up on you in a way, doesn't it? Because it's because it, yes, it's a Thelma and Louise kind of story, right? Two guys, uh, you know, they're they're uh, sticking up banks. Jeff Bridges is the lawman; he's got to kind of try to stop them. It's it, and we've seen that before the the lawman versus the outlaw in kind of the modern day western. But this thing really kind of sneaks up on you. It's well, got all kinds of interesting little uh, dynamics, family dynamics, and, 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 and current, contemporary, yeah. political, lightly political, yeah. but contemporary relevance too. Yeah. Very that, much so. That it doesn't wear on its sleeve as if it's trying to make a point. I'll say this about it. It's gotten better the more I think about it. And with most films that we've seen, Moonlight being one of them, I will watch it. I'll go, that was really good. And then about 24 or 48 hours later, I think, eh, it's kind of worn off. Hell or High Water, I saw it. I thought, that's eh, pretty good. A day later, I thought, no, that's better than pretty good. And like now, a couple of weeks later, three weeks later, I'm thinking – that's really good. Oh yeah, it builds. Yeah, right. It builds, and, and and there's that 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 thing that happens towards the end. That yeah, the oh, it's fantastic. And you were like, oh my god. I know, and but the thing is, it's not like a zingery twist at the end. This is what I love about it. It's not like it's not like a Twilight Zone thing. It's not like the uh, the it's not like an M Night Shyamalan deal where you just go, oh my gosh, they're living inside a little microscopic wormhole. No, there's no thing. You know what I mean? There's no like ah. there's, no, there's no wormhole. No, there's there, there there's no. It's a cookbook. No, there's no there's not that. It's something that that everyone knows in the film and everyone talks about and everyone kind of hints toward and everybody. But it's something you're. It's it's like a thing you're not really let in on. You have to sort of work it out. And they give you that final piece near the end, and then you go, ah, oh, right. And but it just it's a ah, beautiful. It's lovely. <laughs> beautiful. Uh, Florence Foster Jenkins is basically the same story as Marguerite, the French film uh, from earlier in the year, which is much better. Uh, Marguerite is a much better movie, and I hate to say that because the story of Florence Foster Jenkins is a really fun story. It's very, very good. Uh, and this has Meryl Streep, and it's directed by Stephen Frears, and everyone I love has something to do with this film. Hugh Grant, it's fantastic. I love Frears. I love Meryl Streep. But for some reason, this doesn't quite hit the whimsy scale um, you know what? the way it, that I wanted it to. It seemed like one of those you know, Billy Elliot, Calendar Girls type of movies. where but it's, it's, sh- it's what it should have been, but it didn't no. rise to that, did it? it no, just, it did not. It I, I was really it. predisposed to not like this. I, I, I felt like I was being pushed something. Yeah. Look how look how whimsical and wonderful this movie is. But see, Marguerite is Marguerite is that movie, and and this isn't. And it's it's sad. They both came out, you know, pretty much around the same time. And and one of them is literally about Florence Foster Jenkins. The other one is based on her. But uh, for those of you who don't know, she was a, a socialite and a uh, what do you what do you call a, a patroness. A patron of the arts. A patron of the arts. Patron of the arts. Yes. Whatever the. Yeah. She's rich. She just gives money to yeah. artists. Yeah. And, and and you know longed to actually be an artist and had a uh, uh, a husband in Hugh Grant who was very accommodating and uh, 
you know, if not faithful, but certainly loved her in a platonic way and, and, a, and facilitated her, uh, her having the, a career of sorts uh, that she always dreamed of, even though she was terrible at it. And you can still get her albums. Uh, they're awful. She's a terrible singer. But uh, Meryl Streep is lovely and is, is competent, but it just misses something. And then we got another zombie movie. There's no end to them. Um, Mark, tell, huh? us about the, tell us about the zombie movie. Well, this I think. this movie this is terrible. It's a it's a crackle deal, you know. It's from Sony. Yeah. And it's called Dead Rising Endgame, and it's just another stupid zombie thing, where you get this guy named Chase played by Jesse yeah. Metcalf. He and fights in zombies. The, in the la in the last one, he left one of his uh, 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 cohorts behind to be eaten by zombies, and now he feels guilty, and he goes back into the into the headquarters and yeah. tries to kill more zombies. This movie's so bad that like. During the film, one of the characters plays the video game that this movie's based on. Oh, that's terrible. And you're like, is there, you know, is there really time to, for, to spend 30 seconds of your movie playing the video game this is based on? In real life, if you were being eaten by zombies, would you no. want to play video games? No. It's stupid. Dead Rising. Dead Rising. Not, not good. Dead Rising, end game. Whatever. Um, okay, uh, Morgan, let, you know, let, let, let's skip Morgan for a second. Mark, you just saw a movie that you really liked, which you hadn't seen before our voting. What uh, is it? Uh, Monster Calls. I liked it a lot. Yeah. So how does Monster Calls compare with these other two movies, which all basically tell the same story? Uh, here, look. we got, we got Both of these covers are almost exactly alike. We have Pete's Dragon. Here's the little boy and the dragon, the remake yeah. of Pete's Dragon, uh, directed by David Lowry, who, who did Ain't Them Body Saints. I don't know how you go from Ain't Them Body Saints to Pete's Dragon. I don't know where that idea came from. How do you go from how do you go from uh, uh, from that that cop movie to Spider Man Homecoming? I, yeah, exactly. And then we've got uh, Steven Spielberg's uh, The BFG, the 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 big friendly giant. I did not like based that. on the uh, Roll Doll. Now, I did not like this movie. You know, here's the thing: written by, written by Melissa Matheson, directed by Steven Spielberg, based on Roald Dahl. Mal Matheson and Spielberg doing their first thing together since E.T. 35, four years ago, and uh, you know, Roald Dahl can do no wrong. Um, Spielberg directing, you would Janusz Kaminski shooting this thing again. You would think Oscar nominee, right? Oscar nominee in um, uh, Mark Rylance, Oscar winner in Mark Rylance. Uh, yeah. playing the giant. Uh, everything about this should have just clicked on all, why did this not work? Melissa Matheson's last script, by the way, she right. passed away. Why did this not work? I can't, it, it, for the life of me, and I'm not asking you that, like, as a jerk. I, I don't know. It, 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 it felt to me, you know what it is? It felt to me like the movie was devoid of, like, subtext and layers. It felt very just, this is the story. Like, whereas E.T., you felt the family dynamics in there. There was stuff about childhood and working yeah. out family issues that, like, E.T. was kind of underlying. E.T. gave it some foundation. Here I felt like all he really cared about was just rendering the BFG. I just No I layers, no subtext. The themes me, didn't pop. I cannot figure out why it doesn't work. It's just I watch it, and I think I should be loving this, but I'm not. I'm not connecting with it. Maybe that's why. Uh, Pete's Dragon, better than it should be. Not really that good. Uh, just the same. Never should have been remade. Uh, rather silly. Uh, uh, but David Lowry, still a very competent director. I'm glad he got a big payday on this thing. Um, both of these things, of course, come with the uh, Disney Anywhere, uh, Disney Movies Anywhere deal, which, uh, which, I'm wa which um, you know, you can uh, play on Voodoo as well, by the way. We should point that out. You, Voodoo will consolidate all your Disney Anywhere stuff along with all your ultraviolet stuff and uh, you can also do that on uh, Amazon will we'll consolidate all your Disney Anywhere stuff um, 
and uh, a lot of extras on both of these, but it's all EPK stuff behind the scenes, behind you know how they did the effects, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which is getting very, very tiresome. Lowry does a uh, commentary with his actors and his co-writer on the on Pete's Dragon, which is good, which is solid. He's got a few music videos as well, but there's nothing uh, terribly amazing here. It's just uh, pretty boilerplate stuff. I have something boilerplate. Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, Mor- did you Morgan? Uh, you know, Morgan, directed by uh, um, Ridley Scott's son. By the way, Ridley Scott, can we just say, scale of 1 to 10, Yeah. how much are you looking forward to uh, Alien Covenant? <sighs> Not really. <laughs> well, I think this is the one. Th- this is his apology for uh, Prometheus. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll Because this is the one that will directly connect. Supposedly. We will see. Anyway, Morgan is a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a woman. She's a hybrid. She's a humanoid. She's made from uh, a synthetic DNA. And uh, to some, she's a person. To others, yeah. she's a robot. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And you know what? I feel like I've heard this question a lot, like from yeah. Star Trek The Next Generation on down. Is she a person? Is she not? It's well shot. It looks good. It's, uh, but I just feel like, uh, you know, it never really came together for me. It's a little bit of a low boil as a film. You know, it does, it's not super exciting. It's, it's another one of those. It, look, it's the same cautionary tale we've gotten with everything from uh, 2001 to uh, the Andromeda strain to the, uh, what's the original uh, psycho robot, psycho computer movie? The, um, the one from Westworld. No, no, it's even that too. It's all, you know, look, we, we make machines, the machines run amok and teach us a lesson not to be, you know, the human beings are arrogant right. and are Fra- Frankenstein, Frankenstein. That's like the original, right? Sure. So, yeah, it's just, it's that again. Morgan. But you know what? It's got, it's got, we were talking about this with equity. It's got female leads telling a story that would normally be told by men, and that's a good thing. Yes, you know, even the Even the film is not great. Sure enough. All right, we're going to plow through some uh, television here for a bit. Uh, we have some other movies, and uh, first-run movies, but it's time to go to TV. Uh, Twilight Zone, the complete series on Blu-ray, has a new set out. Now, this has been out before, but uh, we, have a, uh, we have a whole new thing, a whole new box set now out from Paramount and CBS. And uh, 156 episodes in a nice single, single keep case. Fits very nicely on the shelf. It's beautiful. Complete series of Twilight Zone on Blu-ray. Um, you know, uh, you can't go wrong. If you already have this on Blu-ray. Which I, I do. Yes, I would say there's really no reason to uh, to get this. But uh, if you don't, it's a good time to get it. Great gift to get somebody. Uh, especially this way you can have your own Twilight Zone marathon. Have your own Twilight Zone marathon. The best. It's the best. The best short films ever made. They are, aren't they? Amazing. Rod Serling just killed it. Uh, Duck Dynasty Season 10. Bunch of guys with beards and fatigues. They make crap that uh, helps you hunt ducks. I, I'm so over this. It's finally canceled, isn't it? Correct. Yes. Well, there you go. Finally. Yay. Uh, you know, I never really quite got the appeal. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they, they've, got, they've got beards. And um, it's, it's, you know, they're rich. I don't, I don't really understand. Someone has to help me understand. Any Duck Dynasty fans out there, read it to us. Send us some uh, emails, gods at digigods.com. Beauty and the Beast, the final season, which Mark always uh, loves because what makes the guy a beast is that he has a scar. One small little scar. Yeah. Meaningless scar. Yeah, that's out. Another season of this. Uh, this, You know, this got a People's Choice Award. Did you know that in 2013? What does that mean? I don't know. It means nothing. I, I, I watched the People's Choice Awards once in my life in, like, 1974 when Charlie Callis won Best Comic. 
That's how long it's been. Since Charlie Callis. That's how long since I've been since I cared about it. I, I still remember the, the the telecast. You know, Charlie Callis comes out and goes, yeah, 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 makes a lot of funny noises, and I laughed. And then Rod Stewart came out in like hot pants and saying, you know, do you think I'm sexy? And that's all I remember about that show. The one and only time I've ever watched the People's Choice Awards. Uh, anyway, Beauty and the Beast final season. Not the the good Beauty and the Beast, but the bad Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Shannara Con- Chronicles uh, season one. Uh, this has kind of a following, doesn't it? This is on Blu-ray and uh, Ultraviolet. Uh, this is from this is an MTV thing, and uh, I, I, you know, I as far as post-apocalyptic sci-fi goes, uh, we've had a lot of these shows that have been on the air in recent years that have tried to sort of give you different, interesting flavors of uh, what the what what the next phase of human civilization will look like. But this is uh, this is a better than most. Um, Kind of uh, much more fantasy oriented, um, but you know it's uh, it's got a it's got a thing going. It's a little bit like Lord of the Rings meets uh, Mad Max, I guess. Is that maybe the best way to put it? Anyway, uh, this is presumably based on a um, on a comic series or like on a graphic novel series, I, which of which I am entirely unfamiliar. So I'm sure I'm getting that totally totally wrong. If anybody knows more about this than than I do, by all means. Uh, shoot the back, uh, godsdigigods.com. But I will say this: this is shot in New Zealand, as is you know Lord of the Rings, and as they did with the first couple uh, or even three of the uh, uh, Narnia films. And there is just no end to the gorgeous looks that you can get out of that country. Forgetting forgetting about all of the weird kind of fantasy sci-fi hybrid uh, post-apocalyptic stuff that they use to put the story together. Uh, it is just amazing to me how many different ways you can make n- uh, New Zealand not only look like the most beautiful place on Earth, but you can make it look like the most beautiful place on any Earth. It's really extraordinary. Well, um, that's as close as I'll get because I'm never going there. Why? I'm not going to New Zealand. It's like a 17-hour flight. It, yeah, but could, why not? Yes, beautiful <laughs> yes place. I can what? Go there. You've been to Seattle. Why not go to New Zealand? Seattle's two hours. Yeah, but you know, if you're going to spend like a week or 10 days there, what's 17 hours? <laughs> Why Can not? you imagine a seventeen-hour flight? I mean, or you know, certain Hong, flights. Hong Kong's now, further. Now I'm going to Paris, which Hong is Kong's like further. Hours. I've been to Hong Kong. Uh, you know, I you look. But the problem is, you can't just pull over to the side of the road if something happens to your plane. Oh, it's a fear thing. Well, you're, you're afraid that uh, you're gonna you're gonna have to like ditch somewhere near Fiji. I mean, how does it how does it happen? What happens if something happens? Are you serious? Kinda. Are you afraid of flying over the ocean? I I've I've, I've done it many many times. But then again, you think the older you get, the more you're, you know, you're, you're, you're tempting the odds, you know? Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay, fine. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Harley and uh, – what, what are you talking about? Yeah, go ahead. Um, Harley and the Davidsons. This is um, an interesting story. I, I don't know that I cared much about the making of the Harley Davidson motorcycle, but uh, I guess it's three parts. It's, uh, you know, it's pretty short, so if you're interested in this stuff, you can't – now, of course, it's not a super macho story, so people who watch this and think that – the story of a Harley and the, the making of the Harley Davidson motorcycle is going to be like, you know, some just badass story about yeah. bad motorcycle freaks right who just with the tattoos and the Hells Angels. That's not what this is. No. Uh, but it is, it's not bad. It's, uh, and again, someone like myself who thinks that motorcycle, motorcyclists uh, need to just relax. They need to relax, 
They cannot treat cars like we are uh, uh, pylons on, a, on an obstacle course. Mm-hmm. I know that we have to be careful, but you know what? So do you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, not bad. Plus, there's over an hour of almost about almost an hour of uh, bonus features. But anyway, this is um, the story of the uh, Walter, Arthur, and Bill, and how they were they didn't have a lot of money, but they risked all of it to launch this uh, this motorcycle company. This was on Discovery, and it's uh, it's good stuff, I have to say. Finally, um, starting to develop into its own is Fear the Walking Dead. The second season is now on. Uh, the Ray of Blue. <laughs> and uh, I feel like after a shaky start, you know, this, of course, takes place before the total apocalypse that destroyed the world and led to uh, what's-his-name with the bat with the wire on it. Um, this is about a family, and they are walking around Los Angeles, totally devastated. So season two, I feel like, is starting to get a little more nice. apocalyptic-y, creepy-ish. You know, uh, so I'm getting into a little bit more. The first season, it kind of stumbled out of the gate. So if you missed uh, the second season because you didn't like the first, I would give this one a shot, especially because it's uh, very close quarters. Well, a lot of it takes place on a, on a boat. And so, uh, yeah, Fear the Walking Dead season two. It's starting to come into its own. Nice. We also have a thing here called Whitlock, a study in Scarlet. Uh, I don't know when this was a series and in what form, but this was some kind of a uh, a television series, and uh, it is truly unbelievably strange. It is, it's kind of an adaptation of Studying the Scarlet, the uh, the uh, Conan Doyle uh, Sherlock Holmes story, um, but it's done with this weird kind of modern day updating, and the detective is female. And it, uh, it's, it's a little bit like how with Elementary on television, you know, uh, Lucy Liu plays Watson. For they're, some reason. Yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of doing – trying to do a similar thing in a very strange, low-budget kind of indie way. Uh, this is a five-episode series. And, uh, I, again, I have no idea where this ever aired as a series, but uh, this is from the Film Detective, who do really interesting stuff. And it's the first TV thing that, uh, to my knowledge, Film Detective has released. So uh, – I, you know, it, if you are familiar with this and you like things that kind of throw an, uh, an unusual uh, kind of modern-day weird twist on Sherlock Holmes, then maybe it'll be your thing. Uh, I'm also not terribly fond of Greenleaf. Uh, this is Greenleaf Season 1. This is on uh, Oprah's Network. And uh, it's, it's just, you know, uh, Oprah's Network is not the place for first-run television right now, I'll, I'll be, honest, be honest. This is... Um, this is a family drama that is tries to sort of be a little bit in the uh, I don't know I I, I want to say it's somewhere between Soul Food, which did okay on television, and Dynasty, uh, perhaps the modern equivalent. As long as we're talking about you know black families and black sagas, uh, black family sagas, it's probably more like somewhere between uh, Soul Food and uh, Empire. But Empire is a terrible show. This is not as terrible. This is really not terrible. It's just sort of lackluster. So, uh, anyway, that's on Blu-ray along with Ultraviolet. The uh, only good thing about this is David Keith, who is fabulous. Always love him. He's great. He's been around forever. Been around forever. He's cool. And his, his voice is on, like, every fourth commercial on television. You know that? As opposed he to Keith David. Yes. Not oh, Keith David, David Keith. Uh, no, I don't know. I didn't say he got it wrong. Did I get it wrong? No, I'm you just confused saying. confused me. I'm just making fun okay. of you. Okay. Because there's David Keith and Keith David. Did I? Oh. They're both actors. You confused the daylight. No, I didn't me. say you got it wrong. Oh, okay. I'm just saying that there are Keith two actors. Keith David. Yes. David Keith is white. Yes. Keith David is black. I always but get that Thank goodness he's okay. black. You racist. Thank you. Keith David, who, uh, no, he must make a mint off of uh, voiceovers. 
because he has that amazing voice. I want to work for Mintz. I want to work for money. He ma- he does so many voiceovers. It's incredible. Uh, constantly. He <laughs> must just make he, mu- he must do 100 commercials a year. Hello, Wade. Yes. The Roddenberry Vault. This thing oh. is stupid. <laughs> you know, when this thing got announced, I was like, the Roddenberry Vault. Oh, my God. It's going to be great. No. I can't wait to see what's in this. Lame. No. It's all lame. Yeah. Uh, it's got some new interviews. Of course, there's, there's no William Shatner in these. It's got 12 classic episodes. Big deal. We already have them. Um, it's got a couple of, uh, you know, new feature-length documentaries. It's just why. It's just, it's just so lame. There's nothing new. Stop it. You know, this th- th- there's some stuff from the cutting room floor, snippets from the cutting room floor, they call it, that's okay. Yeah. But otherwise, it's like, come on, man. Just This is just such a money grab. I, yeah. I would really, I would read up on this thing and decide if you if you wanted it because I looked at this, I was like, this is just a total money grab. Uh-huh. Gee, 12 classic episodes. If I'm going to buy this, I already own the series. If I'm going to like, if I'm going to buy this. Yeah. Or if I'm interested in buying this, I want to investigate what this is. Yeah. I already own the series. Yeah. <sighs> I know. I hear you. I hear that. So, yeah, there's three documentaries, uh, some cutting room floor stuff, and uh, 12 episodes, and uh, whatever. There's isolated music tracks for the episodes, which I, which I, I have to play. So a lot of people were really, really upset when uh, Looking uh, went off the air. Uh, this had a real following. A lot of people wanted it to go on longer, original HBO series. The complete series and the movie are now out in a uh, nice little contained Blu-ray box set with Ultraviolet. Uh, r- not just a popular series in the gay community, because that is a, essentially the community that it focuses on, uh, but it uh, it really had a it had a following just uh, sort of across the map, and people just liked the characters. Uh, you know, it it was a little bit like a like a gay male Sex in the City in some respects, but um, d- it had places to go. Is the bottom line? It ran for two series, uh, two seasons, and uh, really left a lot of kind of. Open potential, we might say, um, had a lot of places to go and just didn't uh, didn't go there, unfortunately. So uh, didn't have a chance to go there. But in any case, uh, it is out on Blu-ray in a n- very nice set and uh, is worth checking out. If you haven't seen this show, it's a it's a very very good show, really well written. And then a couple of uh, PBS foodie stuff here: uh, a Chef's Life season four, exploring the South one ingredient at a time with Chef Vivian Howard. And then we also have Cook's Country from America's Test Kitchen, Season 9, 13 episodes. Lots of great food, lots of great cooking, lots of great entertainment here. Uh, A lot of stuff I never needed to know. I don't need to know how to skin a catfish. I really, really don't. Uh, So the Southern. Oh, come on. You're a Grinch. The Southern cooking stuff I could do without. Look, I'm I'm half half Southern. My father came from Kentucky. I've been there, I've been to a fresh catfish fry. I know how good it is. I just don't need to know how to cook it myself. Cook it myself. Don't need to know how to cook it myself. Uh, I have much more continental taste. Uh, the uh, But uh, Cook's Country, season nine, has a lot of really great stuff. Oh, my gosh, does it have some good stuff. Mark, it's just unbelievable. Chicken baked in foil with sweet potato and radish. So good. So unbelievably good. Um, uh, the salmon stuff I could do without. Uh, lemon and herb red potato salad. So good. You so didn't good. make that. No, I'm looking at it, and I know it's good. I know it's good when you look at it. I'm going to make uh, it no someday. One, no, okay, no one cares. I'm going um, to make it someday. Let's move on. House of Lies, final season on Showtime. This is uh, this show had a b- <coughs> on, on, on the bell curve. This show peaked around the middle of the second season, 
you know, it was got, it stumbled out of the gate a little bit, and then it picked up, and then now I feel like it's uh, it's over. However, it does give Don Cheadle a chance to work, and we got to love that. And it gives Kristen Bell a chance to work, which I guess is better than her doing movies. Um, I like Matthew Carnahan. He created this. This is based on a book. Um, I just don't, I just don't like the fact that the guy's last name is uh, is Khan, Marty Khan, K A A N, because it's not obvious enough that he's a con man. They have to yeah. make his name K A A N. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Right. Anyway, uh, so yeah, this is the final season on DVD, not on Blu-ray. And uh, there you go. Family Guy season 14. Uh-huh. Yes. I am still into Family Guy. It's definitely has had its best moments. Um, but I do think that there is still value to be had in Family Guy. I still TiVo Family Guy. <laughs> I do. I admit it. They go to Insane Asylum. They go to India. Funny stuff. I, I like the India one. If, if if you love Korean pop, there's a uh, there, there's a there's a K-pop episode, which is referenced in the uh, in the box art. Yeah. And uh, yeah, 20 episodes. I have to say, I like uh, Family Guy. I'm that guy. I'm that guy who's still watching it. Uh, have you changed your mind about Adult Swim though? Uh, we well, still the not problem get it? here's the problem. The problem way is that I feet work at five in the morning. Yeah. You know what that means? You don't go, you don't watch Adult Swim. It's too late. <laughs> I'm not watching Adult Swim when I'm not working. I'm sleeping because I have to be at work uh, at five in the morning. So I've not seen Adult Swim recently. Okay, so uh, that being said, Venture, Bro- <laughs> Venture Brothers, speaking of Adult Swim animation, Venture Brothers um, Season 6 is out. And, uh, gosh, I just, I don't even like reviewing Adult Swim stuff. I keep hoping that at some point I'll have an epiphany and I'll look at it and I'll say, oh, now I get it, I understand it, I know how to talk the talk, and uh, no, I don't, I never do. It just, it's, like, it's like somebody watched Johnny Quest and then took acid and said, uh, here, I'm going to just project my brain onto the screen. And somehow that's supposed to make sense. I don't know. I don't get it. Some people love it. Looks really, really good on Blu-ray. I will say that. The animation, the effort at doing something interesting in the animation, especially because the artwork is very uh, kind of semi-anime influenced, as Johnny Quest was, uh, is, is good. It's solid. I mean, the artists do a really, really good job. But still, uh, it misses me completely. But what doesn't miss me is King of the Hill. Uh, and it's worth mentioning, uh, we, had, we have not, uh, these have been out for a little while. Uh, two of them have. The third one came out recently. So I want to make sure everybody knows that King of the Hill is now completely out on Blu-ray. Seasons 11, 12, and 13 were the final ones. Uh, came out from Olive, who uh, picked up the, uh, the license from 20th Century Fox and finished it up because the originals didn't sell well enough, apparently, but Olive has been able to keep it going all the way to the end. And if you're a fan of uh, Hank Hill and his, his just incredibly dysfunctional family and uh, the people who taught me how to say propane with an a- extra H in, in the word, propane, two extra H's. And you know what? I never liked this show because I never – the, the characters seemed so alien to me. They were alien. You know, I, I felt the same way until my wife made me sit down and watch it, and then I started – Getting it, it just you, you have to sort of let it soak in at a certain point. It's a very funny and subversive show. Uh, so Mike Judge scored with King of the Hill. Uh, always a fan of Beavis and Butthead. But seasons 11, 12, and 13 now finally out. Uh, devoid of extras, but uh, relentlessly funny uh, cross-section of America with these characters, especially the Vietnamese family. Just uh, you know, treated not condescendingly, not as a joke, not as a stereotype. That's true. Uh, and and yet as funny as every other dysfunctional individual on the show. And that takes talent to do that. So bravo. Yep, I agree. Uh, the other Blu-ray you're, you're giving me, because you're going to give me this, because okay. you have enough Blu-rays, I'm taking this one too. Okay. Yeah. 
The Tammy Show has been out on uh, Blu-ray before. Yeah. The Tammy Show is the uh, 1964 concert film uh, that was actually shot uh, close to us at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. And uh, this, it, 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 it was a legendary show. It had the Beach Boys and Chuck Berry, James Brown. This is 1964. The Rolling Stones, Smokey Robinson. Um, the house band was great. The, uh, the musical director of the house band at the Tammy Show was Jack Nietzsche. Uh-huh. The, uh, the, the famous Jack Nietzsche, who would, of course, do uh, such great scores as... Starman. Uh, officer and a Gentleman. He, he, just, he, he did Starman, too, yeah. right? Yeah, uh-huh. Although, you know what? I, it's funny. I, I watched Starman, uh, maybe whatever it was, a year ago or something, and that score, I'm sorry, I think that score might have been Oscar-nominated. That score is really repetitive. Which is? Starman? Starman. Yeah, totally. Uh-huh. Yeah. 90 minutes. Yeah. Anyway... So, uh, but that said, Jack is still great. So, also on this Blu-ray, and the reason why you should get it is because it includes the big TNT show, which was kind of the 1966, kind of a, the sequel to the Tammy show. And you get uh, Ray Charles, Bo Diddley, uh, Joan Baez, the Ronettes singing uh, Be My Baby. Love that. The Birds, Turn, yep. Turn, Turn. Nice. It's two just really great specials. Black and white. I get it. You know, it's not uh, super fresh. But there is, uh, there's a, uh, a booklet involved to give you a sense of the history of the Tammy show and the big TNT show, and it's great. It's just th these are two – one of the values of Blu-ray and DVD in general is that it unearths these sorts of uh, specials and takes them out of the vault, totally forgotten, and it reminds people of all the great music uh, from the 60s. So this is highly recommended, uh, the Tammy show and the big TNT show from Chat Factory. So going a little bit dark here, uh, we have uh, Scream Queens, the complete first season, which um, I'm still kind of undecided on. Uh, I, I've watched enough of this to get the vibe, and it's supposed to be a little bit campy, a little bit of an 80s kind of throwback thing, right? Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah, I get it. You know, we're kind of winking and nodding to the slasher era, and we're trying to sort of uh, take it all tongue-in-cheek. Um I I just don't know if it all quite hangs together. Um, it, it's it's dark. It's funny. Yeah, I get it. There's a killer at the university and the sorority, and we're we're just we're we're going through every stereotypical cliche from all of those old movies. And you're supposed to kind of get into the whole meta kitsch, and uh, but somehow it just feels a little bit. Um, a little bit too referential, if that makes sense. It's just I, I could do with more story and fewer, fewer winks. You know, like, like Stranger Things has a lot of winks, but it's got a great story. You don't have to get the winks to get the story. Here, if you miss the winks, I don't think you really get it. Anyway, Emma Roberts is very, very good. Uh, she plays the, uh, the uh, uh, sorority president, uh, Chanel Oberlin, which is a great name. Very, very funny. Uh, Leah Michelle, uh, Kiki Palmer, Abigail Breslin also star in this thing. Uh, all of them do a very, very good job. I think uh, a second season will uh, give it a little more room to breathe. So let's see if they can kind of uh, straighten out the kinks. More interesting, <coughs> excuse me, more interesting is American Gothic season one, which is a, uh, a, a, a rather intense family murder mystery. All of it's set in Boston. Uh, this is kind of the offspring of, uh, uh, twi of Twin Peaks in a certain sense. It has a Twin Peaksy vibe. It's not; su it doesn't go into supernatural places, but it certainly 
does make you question everything that everyone is doing and everyone is saying, and it takes you in all kinds of nasty little crevices, and I think it's very, very good and very promising as a series. Uh, extended and deleted scenes on this, as well as uh, a little ditty from Comic-Con and a gag reel, and that is also from Paramount and CBS. Wait, there's a show called Modern Family, and it won't go away. It will not freaking go away, this show. This thing had a moment, had many moments. Yeah. It, ha it won an Emmy. It won yeah. many Emmys. Yeah. And now I, I don't want to watch it anymore. Yeah. I feel like I'm being, like, force-fed this show. I do, too. So the complete seven seasons now on uh, DVD, Lovely. or Day Bay Day, as they yes. say in uh, French. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, all I can say is this thing has won five Emmys for Outstanding Comedy Series. That is plenty. It needs to go away now. Yep. And I agree. Um, I misspelled Sophia Vergara's name on air the other day. And oh, I was did very you angry really? Myself. Yes, on I the Chiron? I, yes, I did. Mm -hmm. Because uh, <coughs> I spelled it with a S-O-P-H, not the S-O-F. Ah. I beat myself up over that. Rare mistake in my television career. And it uh, pissed me off. Well, it happens. Yes, it does. Vikings Season 4, Volume 1, 10 unrated episodes. What? That's right. What? With, ex with extended and deleted scenes not what? shown on TV. What? So you get to see a lot more gore and violence and blood and horror than... Uh, than uh, look, I, I, am, uh, I am descended through one strain of my family from Vikings, uh, and I've had a bit of a it childhood... It seems like your family is like they're Southern, they're Vikings, they're Holocaust survivors, Okay, so it goes aliens. like this. I mean, so it goes like this. On my father's side of the family... Uh, it goes all the way back to uh, to Normans, Vikings, who then took the Duchy of Normandy, right? And then, uh, you know, sailed up the sand and said, we want land. They got the Duchy of Normandy. Then you go to William the Conqueror, whose uncle is my ancestor. My ancestor was his uncle, not William the Conqueror. William the Conqueror goes across, takes all the Normans across, takes over England. Flash forward a few hundred years, I've got an ancestor who uh, objects to his daughter marrying the son of Oliver Cromwell. Cromwell, of course, being the Lord Executioner of England and essentially a dictator, says, get out. So he sends him to Virginia, where he settles in Virginia, and uh, here I am. Now, how did you find all this out? This is all family history. We have people like my father and other relatives who are, who are genealogy-obsessed, so they, they wrote all this stuff. Now, uh, how about that thing where you, we, you, you like sp spit on a piece of paper and send it to Kentucky or something? Oh, yeah. 23 and Me? Yeah, 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 yeah. They, and they, they, they do a genetic test, and then they, they, they tell you, Mark Kaiser, you may not believe this, but you are 37% Korean. <laughs> and then you and, and you say, what? You're crazy. And then you find out, yeah, sure enough. So what is the, I should, if anyone has ever done uh, a 23andMe or one of these genealogy tests, I well, let us know at gods.digigods.com because yeah, I, sure. I'm thinking of doing that because I don't have, Why I, not? I have a small family. I'm an only child. My father yeah. was an only child. Yeah. So I'm really hoping that there's something super cool like I was, I am the great, 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 great grandson there's of Abraham Lincoln that was going to like make my small family cool. There's less, I mean, I have less to work with on my mother's side. You know, we're, we're Prussians and farmers and then it just kind of ends somewhere around, you know, the 1800s. But on my father's side, it's because it's all, you know, the England and dukes and royalty and Normans and Vikings, and there's all kinds of records. So anyway, my direct ancestor is, is mentioned in, uh, in chronicles and all kinds of weird Icelandic sagas. So anyway, that's season four, volume one of Vikings. Uh, I, it's, it, it no, there are no Vikings anywhere in history who live the way these guys live, but it's still a cool show with the... Uh, you know, all the blood and thunder and everything. So that's, uh, I still think the show is neat. And I the unrated stuff, I'm down with it. And then uh, two shows with Brain in the title and otherwise nothing to do with each other. Uh, Brain Games Season 7 and uh, Brain Dead. Um, 
you know, you know, you, you know why I love Brain Dead? What do you love about Brain Dead? Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah. Delicious. <laughs> okay. Uh, this thing, by the way, canceled. It, oh, is it? Brain Dead's canceled. Yeah. Too bad. Oh, fair enough. That's how it goes <laughs> in television, I guess. Uh, anyway, Brain Dead is uh, is a political satire. It's gone. So so much for that. I do like Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I hope she starts to do uh, some some features. That would be nice. Uh, but as you know, she was in. Um, did you ever see? Um, 10 Cloverfield Lane, the surprisingly good 10 Cloverfield Lane. I have Lane. not watched it. A surprisingly good film. Yeah. With John Goodman. Yeah, I know. By the way, I was I was that close at, 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 our, at our meeting. Yeah. Just to throw a bomb out just for the hell of it because he wasn't going yeah. to win anyway. They didn't send us a screener. <laughs> they don't send us a screener. Look, here's a lesson. I was going to give John Goodman a point for Best Supporting Actor. If you don't send awards groups, critics groups, if you don't send them screeners for the films that you want considered, if you don't have publicists phone them and make sure they've seen them and remind them with emails and phone calls, we really would like for you to remind If you don't send personal letters out signed by composers and actors saying, I'm grateful you're considering my movie, odds are it's not going to win anything. <laughs> I hate to say that. I hate to make us sound incredibly shallow and short-sighted, but you just get swamped with this stuff. A lot of these people simply forget what they've seen earlier in the year. It is true. And if you don't remind them at least with a screener or some kind of a persuasion, they're not going to remember. That's totally true. It's totally true. That's now, the not reality the, of it. Now, not that 10 Cloverfield Lane was going to be up for awards, but it's surprisingly good. Uh, in fact, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it features Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Boy, Weinstein sure bonked the uh, the uh, the Michael Keaton thing, didn't they? The founder. They d you know what? I Wow. Uh, no, you know what? I got that invite. I just couldn't go. See, a, a bunch of Lafkin members were complained that they did not get the invite to the founder. And yeah. I said, hey, I, I got my invite to the founder. I just couldn't go. So Crazy. I, I don't Crazy. know whether it's now it seems like it's Academy – it's Oscar and Golden Globe chances are zero. It's, it's not even a blip. It's, well, there, there's a controversy. We'll may say this really quickly. Uh, you know, one of our members, Glenn Whip, who recently wrote this in the L.A. Times, Glenn asked everybody, he's like, hey – they're saying everybody got invited to the founder. Did anybody get invited? And I was like, they told me there might be a screening, and they were going to invite me. I never heard further. Some people heard nothing. I mean, it really was it was badly handled. It was because I, I got I mine, and and yeah. I and I don't write for the L.A. Times, yeah. so you would think that Glenn would get an invite before me. Yeah. But I forwarded my invite to him. Yeah. Just offline, I didn't forward it to the whole group. Well, anyway, and they, they really botched that. So, uh, anyway, Brain Dead, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, as a uh, documentary filmmaker, it's a political satire that is a lot less funny because most political satire these days just cannot measure up to real politics. And then uh, the Emmy-nominated series from National Geographic Channel, uh, Brain Games, Season 7, which has nothing to do with Brain Dead, is uh, just one of those national, one of those educational show-type things where... Uh, People go through all kinds of real life uh, and exercises and games and and uh, to sort of s sort of show what humans are capable of in a strange experimental pseudo scientific way. It's more entertaining than I think it is useful, but uh, they come up with some interesting stuff. I just don't know how they've been able to make this thing go for seven seasons. It's just it's it's, it's it, it seems like you'd run out of stuff at a certain no, point. But it's the brain. Yeah. Well. Just because your brain Maybe, has stopped yeah. expanding. <laughs> okay. Better Call Saul Season 2. This, uh, this show is a good show. And uh, I have to say that the first season was better only because it. Well, we were excited about it. Breaking Bad was done. We thought we'd never see any Breaking Bad characters ever again. And then here comes Better Call Saul. They threw all their cards on the table early in that season. 
uh, Vince Gilligan, you know, he's so talented. And so not only do we he have Saul Goodman, we I'm also have... So I, and I'm so glad they rescued him from the island. I really am. <laughs> I'm never going to give up on that show. Okay. Jonathan Banks also reprises his role as Mike. Uh, he's got some crazy... Mm-hmm. Like Emmon Trout or something. I, forget, yeah. I can never pronounce it. Um, but this is season two, and season two is uh, is also good. Yeah. You know? He's got a romance with this woman, Kim, that's kind of going somewhere, and his brother, played by Michael McKeon. You know, Jonathan Banks, of course, is still in it. And so I, 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 I like this show. I, my, my feeling was that I thought it was going to be a little quirkier and funnier than it wound up being, but um, they do give a lot of space to develop the characters and develop the arc. Um, you know, the level of ambition is similar to, to better – uh, similar to Breaking Bad, but not as ambitious as Breaking Bad. But um, I do like it. It's not as brooding as Breaking Bad, you know, less yeah. emotionally, you know, less of a, a, a of an emotional ringer is Breaking Bad, but it's still good stuff. I, better Call Saul, it sneaks up on you. Breaking Bad hits you with a sledgehammer. This one sneaks up on you. And then uh, just to wrap out the uh, last bits of television, Zoo Season 2. This is that show that tries to be sort of uh, Planet of the Apesy, except now it's all the animals that are against humans in this uh, horrible post-apocalyptic uh, war for the planet. Uh, I, I, I don't quite buy the premise. Uh, it's, uh, it, tries to, it sort of aspires to be very uh, lost-ish in certain ways. It's something like that. It's clearly something that J.J. would have put his, uh, his imprimatur on at one point. Um, uh, but it's a show in, in, in process. They've got a few special features on here, uh, gag reel and deleted scenes and featurettes. Uh, we'll see where that goes in the future. I think it's promising, not perfect. Uh, the Bureau is a really, really cool series in France starring Mathieu Kassovitz, who isn't really making movies anymore as a director because he's starring in this thing. Um, but it's, uh, this is a good... This is a really, really good series, and uh, I- this is like the first foreign language show that hasn't come out here from MHZ Networks, and uh, it's worth checking out. Uh, this is uh, three discs, ten episodes, and it all takes place in the French Secret Service, and it's a really, really good espionage show, very well written, really interesting, high, higher quality than uh, a lot of stuff that you would see uh, on the espionage end here. And then lastly, from History Channel is a double feature of Texas Rising and Sons of Liberty. Neither one is particularly good, but as uh, from a historical standpoint, uh, the story of, uh, you know, uh, the, the founding fathers of America and Sons of Liberty and the Alamo and the history of Texas uh, in Texas Rising, you learn a lot. You don't learn it through great drama, but it is at least historically accurate. Hey, Major, everyone. Thank you. And wrapping out our cleanup show, Mark, let us delve into the what have you have you tried uh, Filmstruck yet? I have not. And I, oh and my I love gosh! The idea. Oh, dude, I cannot stop watching it. I watched like three hours of Silent Chaplin the other night. Can I just could I couldn't turn it off. Can you give me like a free? Yeah, this fourteen day free trial. Yeah, but like because you know we're in the business. Oh, because we're because we're like we the promote them. The we should uh, give us uh, something free because uh, I don't want to spend money. I will. I will. I will solicit that. I canceled my subscription to Match.com. You did. I canceled my subscription to uh, uh, JDate. Nice. I'm thinking of canceling my streaming subscription to Netflix. I'm trying to pare down the money a little bit. Yeah. I still want the DVD. But most people want Netflix streaming. Yeah. I want Netflix DVDs. I see. Because right now Netflix streaming. Within like 18 months, yeah. Netflix streaming will, will 80% be all Netflix original shows. Yes, that's There'll the whole point. There'll be nothing to stream. That's the point. I want the movies. I hear you. In fact, one movie that I, uh, that I rented on Netflix uh, many moons ago was One-Eyed Jacks. Yeah. One-Eyed Jacks, which is now on Criterion Blu-ray, 
And this is, this is such a fascinating Western. This thing was directed by Marlon Brando, which is to say that uh, once, you know, three other directors were fired, including Stanley Kubrick, Brando just did it himself. Mm-hmm. And Brando plays this bandito, and he's got a mentor played by Carl Malden, and he is double-crossed by them. He's not, he's not double-crossed. He's kind of like Left 4 Dead by his yes. mentor. And so Brando spends, you know, years in prison dreaming of revenge. And then the movie is about the revenge that he might get against Carl Malden's character and how he might be falling in love with Carl Malden's daughter. Not sure. Stepdaughter. Not really sure. We'll find out. Got to watch the movie. Big surprise ending. Good movie. And it's a good movie. Good you know, movie. What, what, what's interesting about this movie is that is that unlike most Westerns, it, it's, it's, it's brooding. Mm-hmm. It sneaks up on you. Yep. It's a slow fuse. Yeah. Right. It's mm-hmm. not it's not a super exciting Western. Yep. You know, but that's part of the power of it. And this is uh, really the um, this is like this is Brando did not do a lot of directing. Let's just put it that way. Uh, so it's a 4K digital restoration. Um, and there's a voice excerpts. Uh, voice recordings from Brando that he made during the development of the script, which is interesting. It's always interesting to hear his voice. And there's a couple, there's a new vi- essay on the film's production history, and uh, it, is, it is an interesting history. And uh, I like this film. This is a terrific film. It's definitely, if you're a, if you're a film buff and you want to uh, polish off a good film reference in your uh, film buff credential list, this would be one. Uh, oh, yeah, on. go ahead. Real quick, Squid and the Whale. Noah Baumbach, also on uh, Criterion. I love this film. This film is like my parents' divorce in the 80s. Of course, I- I this is in New York. I was not in New York in the 80s. I was here in, in L.A. in the 80s. But still, Noah Baumbach really came out of his uh, – he really just just shot to the fore with this movie. And Jeff Daniels and Laura Linney are great as the parents, and I just think this thing is fantastic. Another 4K digital transfer, new interviews with Baumbach and Daniels and Eisenberg, which shows you how important the film was to them. There's a, two, a, a vintage documentary uh, uh, on the making of the film, which I like. There's some audition footage, which is, you know, cute, whatever. Uh, but Squid and the Whale, it is insightful and emotional and real, and it is character-driven, and it is just great. It is only 81 minutes, but it is just packed with such emotion. It feels like you're seeing, like, a two-hour film. And 1950s, The Asphalt Jungle by John Huston, who is spinning in his grave over the fact that his grandson is so terrible in the new Ben-Hur. Uh, the, uh, th- this is a really great noir. This is a terrific noir. It's one of the all-time great noirs. And uh, it just, it's just dripping with mood. And ev- it just if you're, if you're going to watch if you're gonna watch something like, like the McKenzie film, right, this is a good, one, good double feature to go with it, right? That's true. Hell or High Water. Oh, and Hell or High Water in the Asphalt Jungle. Make a great feature, then a double feature, then and now. Um, just a terrific film. Beautiful black and white cinematography. And uh, this includes a 1983 documentary on uh, called Pharos of uh, Chaos, which is all about uh, Sterling Hayden. And I am so grateful that my mother never became his nanny because he's out of his mind. Uh, which we know, but still, it's just reminded me of that. Uh, anyway, also an episode of the uh, television program City Lights from 1979, featuring John Houston, and a bunch of other really interesting stuff, archival interviews and whatnot. Really, really terrific. Just a just a great Blu-ray. Fellini's Roma, uh, Federico Federico Fellini's Roma, one of the Fellini films I don't particularly care for from 1972. I think if you're a, Fel- a late Fellini fan, fine, you will love it, but I just find this thing to be really insufferably self-indulgent. He's just all over the map. It's, it's like he just m- m- you know, sp- speedballed a bunch of LSD into his head and then made a tribute to, to Rome as a city. 
I don't find it appealing in the least. However, it's considered a classic, so whatever. Uh, the Exterminating Angel by Luis Buñuel. Yeah, that's one, a good one. That's this a is a really good one. One of the more accessible Buñuel films, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's got that kind of Buñuel thing, which is, you know, you put some people into a, a rather uh, claustrophobic situation and uh, then let them go crazy. But it, but e even the idea doesn't just work on some allegorical level. It yeah. also works. It's just a cool little it long is. line. It's a, it's, it's, people it's stuck, really cool. in a stuck in a mansion can't get out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty great. Uh, it, it, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't go into overly – it doesn't get overly philosophical. It's a lot of fun. Uh, there's a great documentary on here from 2008, um, which is uh, all about uh, Bunuel and Jean-Claude Carrière, who, in my opinion, is one of the three or four greatest screenwriters in history. Uh, Carrier is right up there with with Robert Bolt and, uh, and and Ben Hecht. He's just he's amazing, absolutely amazing. So many legendary screenplays, especially writing for uh, with Philip Kaufman as well. You know, I mean, Carrier wrote with Kaufman twice. Sure, uh, Henry and June and uh, Unbearable Lightness. So anyway, uh, really great stuff. And uh, then lastly, to wrap our show out, Heart of a Dog. Laurie Anderson film, a weird criterion choice if there ever was one. Oh, that's right. We got uh, Kurosawa's Dreams, too, don't we? Yes, we do. Okay, so I will do both of these real quick. Uh, Kurosawa's Dreams first is uh, is out. I'm not a huge fan of Kurosawa's Dreams. Uh, I feel like he was he was on the, on his on his way out of the world and, and just did a bunch of short films that I are kind of weird, right? I feel like like it's the blizzard. You're you're literally in that blizzard for like half. It feels like half the movie. It's just guys in snow for about five it, minutes. It it's reminds weird. it reminds me of of going to the Ken Film Festival in two thousand four and yeah. watching Michael uh, and watching um, um, Antonioni's like last film. It was like yeah. this short film called The Passion of Michelangelo yeah. Antonioni or something right. like that. It was like twenty minutes of a guy staring at a statue. And somehow, when you're Whatever. ninety years old, that has meaning for you because you're about to die. Yeah. But when you're not ninety years old, it's just boring. Well, anyway, dreams uh, for for Kurosawa fans and completists. You can add that to as yet another Criterion release. But to me, it is uh, it is one of the, his lesser films. And with uh, Scorsese playing uh, Van Gogh, it's a very odd casting. It's a very unusual thing. It was one of the first films that was shot in high def at the time, and it looks a little bit raw. You know, you have they they did some some digital effects, very uh, kind of early digital effects of Van Gogh walking into his own paintings. Scorsese is Van Gogh. Can't say I really care for it. Um, more of a curio. And then Heart of a Dog, the Laurie Anderson film. Uh, I, you know, uh, from 2015, man, last year, 75-minute feature film that Laurie Anderson made went right under everybody, uh, right off everybody's radar. I, I just, I, Laurie Anderson is not my thing, man. Uh, never has been. But I guess she is for some people. And getting the Criterion treatment really kind of validates her all over again. So, uh, and it was the f it's the first thing she's done in three decades. So, you know, go for it. I, if you're an Anderson fan, if you're not, I just can't really recommend this. It's, it's very, it's your usual experimental kind of free-flowing stuff. But it's got a few things on it. It's got a uh, conversation between Laurie Anderson and her co-producer, uh, co Jake Perlin. And then uh, footage from a concert she did in 2016, some deleted scenes. There it is. Uh, Heart of a Dog by Laurie Anderson on Criterion Blu-ray. And with that, we are done. Mark, when do you take off for uh, France in the new year? W when do you take off for France in the new year? Uh, middle, of January. middle of January. So we'll uh, we'll have a show early in the year. We'll have a show uh, before Mark heads to, uh, to Europe. And uh, with that, have a very terrific holiday season. Christmas, Hanukkah, everything else. Uh, we will see you guys in the new year.